what's called liberal right now used to be people allowing people to have an opinion, and it's not the case anymore. It, it's shifted altogether. The Democratic Party never was what they pretended to be, and I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. I just, I'm an American. I'm a patriot. Yeah. This is episode number 141 with Marshall Silver. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is up, America? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for listening in today, tuning in to another incredible episode of the podcast. Uh, we have an incredible show for you today. Our guest today is Marshall Silver. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my co-host and partner, Barbara Allen. And you know, America Sippets is designed to be all about you. It's about bringing you up close and personal each week with people who exemplify excellence in their personal and professional lives and whose stories provide clear messages and lessons you can find inspiration and insight in. And we love giving our guests some room you know, to share their stories uh, and ask questions or talk about things they don't, they don't necessarily talk about on other platforms. And we find that, that these areas are often the areas where our guests bring the most powerful lessons in. And this week's episode with Marshall Silver is a perfect example of that. Marshall has been interviewed hundreds of times, if not more. He's coached thousands of individual clients and spoken and performed in front of millions of people. He's known as the world's greatest hypnotist, and Marshall is constantly asked about the powers of persuasion, the subconscious mind, and for help in understanding how to utilize both of those things. He's also frequently asked to share his incredible story of hardship. Marshall has talked on both of these top topics thousands of times, and in each time, he blows his audiences away. In this interview, though, Marshall was pulled in a little bit of a different direction. So listen in as Marshall takes us into areas we normally don't venture into. From his thoughts on the coronavirus to the Federal Reserve and the IRS, Marshall unleashes his views. He offers just enough of his, of his personal story to bring his points home on everything from child trafficking to building massive success, and he does it in his own way. So get ready for a wild ride on this episode of American Snippets. Now, without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Marshall Silver. You're listening to the American Snippets podcast. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen, and today I am sitting down virtually, of course, with Marshall Silver, also known as the Millionaire Maker. Marshall is a hypnotist turned a business speaker, coach, and passive revenue mastermind. He's recognized as the number one leading expert in subconscious reprogram and the master of persuasion and influence. He's trademark, I believe, the term certainology, which we're going to get into because I'm, I'm so fascinated by all of that. He's a husband and father who, although he was born into a life packed with struggle, managed to build another life packed with magic, success, and fulfillment. And now he's doing the same to help other people do that in their own lives as well, which is super special to us and taps deep into what we believe in and why we're so excited to have you here today, Marshall. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us. You're very welcome, Barb. I'm very happy to be here. You know, it's quite challenging times going on right now. And I think the biggest thing people need is certainty. Yes, a hundred percent. And it's why what you're going to talk about here is so relevant to everybody and so many aspects, right? We need certainty. We all need to bring a little magic into our lives theoretically and, you know, figuratively. And you touch on, on all of that. Plus in the few minutes that we're talking, I'm sensing you have a kind of an under running undercore like love for our country and want people to do well and um you know so there's there's all of that that we need to to get into and promote and push out there today and i'm so happy that you're here with yeah. us yeah me too and i want to <laughs> I love my country dearly yes. and i i definitely a patriot and definitely love my president and i love what he was able to do in the first three years while he was in office while he was being attacked nonstop. And yeah. it's, you know, it's interesting to me that on March 11th, I went and did a speaking engagement in San Diego. I'm at my beach house right now. My main residence is in Las Vegas. Right. But I was at my beach house, did an event. And when I got to the event, there were less than half the people the promoter had said were going to be there. And I said to the promoter, I said, what's going on? He said, effing, uh, you know, virus, effing virus. 
And and I got on stage and, and I'm a I'm a no um, no punches pulled kind of guy. I'm going to say what I think. And, you know, if you want to get attacked, have an opinion. And so I often will give an opinion that's not popular because it's my opinion. Yeah. And I got on the platform and I said to the audience, I said, you do realize this is a flu bug. And this is not the pandemic the media is fanning the flames to make it into. This is a flu bug. And uh, anywhere from 20 to 60,000 people die every single year of what most people would call the seasonal flu. So when I came back from there, the next day, the NBA shut down their season. Then the NHL shut down their season. Then NASCAR shut down its season. And then the, the thing that I could have never imagined in my entire life, Vegas shut down. In my hometown, <laughs> 24-7, the casinos all shut down. And I went, yeah. what the heck is going on here? And I'm it's, still going, what the heck is going on here? Because I, it's I, deeper than what it appears to be. Yes. And, you know, it's so I think it blends it bleeds into the sense of frustration and frustration is another like powerful force in people's lives. And this is just adding to the frustration and kind of spotlighting all the frustrating areas in our own lives because now we're heaping more. But we're helpless. Like, we, you know, so you're feeling a, a sense of powerlessness, helplessness, frustration, anger, confusion. You don't know who to believe, who's saying, you know, who's lying to you, who's telling the truth, what you can grab onto, what you should do. It's. Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy time. Our kids are living through history like they're going to remember this. You know, their kids are going to learn about this. It's fascinating, yeah, it, really. Yeah, It is a, a unique moment in history. The one thing I want to say is that I've shared the stage with Donald Trump on at least 30 occasions. Yeah. I've been backstage with him. They usually put me on right before him. They'd have an event run late. They'd have me get on stage when he was supposed to be on. Then he'd follow me because I sell things. And so they wanted the largest number of people possible in the room when I got on stage to sell things. And if there were any other president in office right now, I would be I would be quite concerned. Yeah. Um, I, I trust Trump. I, I know his heart. I know his his attitude. I know he's a genuinely good human being. And my belief is, though, that what happened and, and again, it's your show. And how far down the rabbit hole can we go? <laughs> That's okay. I mean, personally, I I love all of that. And you know what? Typically, we we don't go deep into politics just because we're. Um, you know, we obviously have a lot of our own political beliefs and it seems like they align with yours largely, you know, but um, patriotism is what we're trying to to kind so, of send out well, outside of politics, you know. So, yeah, well, we're happy to have a conversation because I'm sorry, because I think that you also respect other people's views, you oh, know. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that's what we like. That's all we care. Like, bring it, you know. <laughs> Just, so, that that yeah. being said, I would I, I definitely respect other people's opinion. Yeah. Um, as a hypnotist, I see things on a different level than other people see them. As a hypnotist, yeah. my job is to get past what I call objective reality. That That's what the facts are. You know, the facts are the guy walked across the stage, he turned, he scrunched his face, and then he kept walking. Other people might interpret that to say, oh, he was angry or, or he was upset with you or, you know, he had indigestion. No, he walked across the stage, he turned, he scrunched his face, he turned back, he kept walking. That's what happened. Now, that said, meaning gets attached to things. I've told my wife from the beginning, and we, we were chatting, Barb, before we uh, started recording, that before March 11th, I had a very deep chest cold. I had a, a light flu. It wasn't that bad. I, I never get sick anyway. So it was surprising for me to have that level of cough for five nights straight. I would wake up and cough all night. I would drink a case of water because I was so dehydrated every single night. And my own belief is that I had the virus that's going and like I said, I don't get sick. I, I very rarely get sick. I, I've had the flu in the past. I've had colds in the past, certainly, except it passed. And so when this became, when the NBA shut down at that point, there were only 12 cases, uh, recorded cases in the entire United States, including one Utah jazz player uh, up in you know Utah. And so I said, they're overreacting. What is going on here? And at first, my president said that this is, you know, this is not real. And again, the media, the biased media, and that's not politics, that's a fact. Yeah. The biased media, uh, you know, has will, will flip and, and frame and, and twist anything to make it look like Trump's doing something horrible. And so for me, I, if he was doing something horrible, I'd say, I like the guy and he's doing something horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, so at first Trump was saying they're overreacting. This isn't as bad as they're saying it is. And then because he had to, he had to, he said, OK, fine. Uh, then let's shut down the borders. Let's let's, you know, bring in the hospitals. Let's do whatever we need to do to protect people. But here's my thing is that I watch reality. And the reality is uh, last week, a week ago, 
I was uh, walking down the beach, making sure my family and I were, were distanced from everybody else, not coming near anybody. But there were 150 surfers out in front of my house. There were, you know, crowds playing Frisbee and whatever. And I thought, this is just strange. But the next day, the next day I woke up and I looked at the beach and there wasn't a surfer in the water. And I thought, that's weird. I've been on this beach for 15 years. There's always surfers in the water. And then I looked down the beach. There was nobody on the beach. And I pulled out my phone and I Googled and sure enough, they had shut the beach down at midnight the night before. And so, you know, we're living in unique times. At the same time, we also need to have that objective reality. We need to understand it's our choice to figure out what's really going on. And I know for a fact that there's going to be some people hurt during these times. There's going to be some businesses that go out of business. There's going to be some people that were not prepared because who could prepare for this? You know, I'm in the live events business and overnight I can't do my event. Yeah. Yeah. Done. And, and will it recover? Of course it'll recover. Will it be different? Vastly different. So during these challenging times, a few things I want to help people understand. Number one, we will get through this. We will be forever changed. Uh, we will do things in a different way. Do I think that everything, like, like I said right now, is as it appears to be? And I say no. I, I think there's some other agendas going on. Certainly one of the agendas has been revealed. Trump revealed that he's going after drug traffickers and he's revealed that he's going after human traffickers. And uh, I've for the longest time, you know, I grew up in the entertainment business and I know the entertainment business is a dangerous place for kids. It's a dangerous place for anything. Everything's dangerous for kids, yeah. except most people live in a bit of naivete. I'm that paranoid father because I lived in it. I, you know, was uh, attempted to be seduced many times as a child. Wow. So I know yeah. what goes on there. And, um, you know, again, my, my wife is such an amazing human being, best person on the planet. I love my babies. I've got three children, Sterling, Maximus, and Prosperity. And I'm the guy that, that thinks everybody's a threat. And if they're not a threat, so be it. But if they are a threat, I'm going to stop it before anything happens. So right now, I just say, number one, things will go back to normal, not the normal we knew before. Uh, restaurants will go out of business that were struggling. Ones that were doing okay will flourish because all those people that went to the other restaurants now still need a place to go. And we're going to see... We're going to see my belief, because I always believe in things that can be good. We're going to see people coming together in a way they never have. Yeah. You know, we're seeing a lot of things as patriots being exposed. We're seeing people being exposed, asking for $5 billion for Iran, which in due respect is a terrorist state. It really is. And we're, we're seeing that money being asked for in a time when Americans need support. Americans need that money. And I'm not selfish. I just believe that in my household, I'm going to take care of my family first. And then if I have resource, then I'm going to assist you. I would expect you to do the same thing. And I wouldn't think any less of you if you did that. Yeah. And, you know, people are can be nervous to say something like that because it makes, you know, they're afraid to be called selfish or bad human beings. But when it comes down to it, you know, you're going to look out for your family and your people and all that. It doesn't mean you're not going to help other people, but we have responsibility to our own families as well first. And I appreciate you saying all that. It's crazy here, too. Like we we're in. Uh, you know, a little bit toward, we're out of New York City in the country. We got horses in the yard and some dogs and stuff, but we go hiking. And just yesterday we drove up to go to a hiking place way out in the middle of nowhere. And there was a gate across it, even like nature's closed. Like you're not allowed to go hiking either. Yeah, Crazy, you know, crazy I, times. Well, it's, it's crazy. It is, you know, and we've got governors in Michigan saying you can't buy flags or, you know, you, you can't do that. I just saw that. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking to myself, what does that have to do with anything? And so our sanity is being tested a bit here. I look down the street where, like I said, at the beach house, I look down the street and I see joggers on the sidewalk. I see people walking along. I see bikes, you know, riding in the street. Certainly traffic is at a minimal and they've closed off a lane and they've stopped any parking curbside. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so the air on the sidewalk is okay, but the air on the beach is not. What's wrong with this equation? And, you know, I, uh, again, we had a robust economy. On the 10th of March, we, we had record low unemployment, record high employment, an economy that was booming. You know, it was it was booming. And then what happened was overnight, the stock market dropped 1,000 and then 2,000, then another 1,500. And I want to be clear, the stock market is not the economy. It is the stock market. It's an indicator. It's an indicator of, of confidence levels. And confidence levels are what drive the economy. You know, I spend money when I believe I'm going to make more money. I hold on to money when I think money is going to be in short supply. And right now, though, we as people, we as good patriots, we need to be asking different questions. We need to not just believe everything we're told by anybody. 
You know, we, we, like I said, we've got, as patriots, we have a, an obligation to speak up. We have an obligation to say the emperor has no clothes on. You know, I, I know everybody else thinks the emperor has clothes. The emperor has no clothes on. You guys are in New York, and before we uh, went on the air, I said, how's it going there? And uh, <laughs> Dave said, well, you know, we've had a couple people that have had the virus. And I said, how are they doing now? And he said, they're doing good. And then you said, I think I had it. And uh, yeah, I get it. So that's the thing is, is I, I want to, the, the mainstream media, CBS in particular, showed a uh, hospital in New York. And then it, it was exposed. The hospital was actually in Italy. Oh, wow. And then they, showed, yeah. then they showed a hospital in Philadelphia. Well, they must have forgot that they showed the exact same hospital from Italy twice, claiming <laughs> it was in New York first and then in Philadelphia. Don't you think that if the media could get some images of overrun hospitals in New York City, legitimate ones, don't you think they did them? Them not having them kind of says it speaks loudly, actually. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's I'm torn. I see, and we have some people in our circle who are nurses and who are working in the fields and are coming back and reporting just horrific conditions in ERs and all that stuff. But I'm not a doctor. I'm not there. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how much of this is the flu or like regular stuff that is sick. I know that some people that have pre-existing conditions or heart conditions are and are dying, their deaths are being labeled COVID. Like who knows? You know. Like, it's crazy. I, I know well, enough to know that I don't know what's going on. Well, and that's and again, what's so frustrating. For sure. And you're doing yeah. the right thing. You know, I have a lot yeah. of friends that are doctors. I have some friends that are nurses. And I've contacted them. And I haven't found one of my uh, circle that has said, you know, we're overrun. In fact, I have a, a, a doctor who was a doctor, ER doctor in uh, Michigan. Now he is a doctor in uh, Phoenix. And I said, what's going on? And he said yesterday, he said, I treated, I diagnosed two people with influenza, one people, one person with pneumonia. I did one COVID test and we haven't had a single case here in Arizona. He said, but it's hot here. And I said, I understand it's hot in Vegas too. And they shut all the casinos down. I said, so something just isn't adding up. And once again, I think it's important. And, and, and again, I can tell you're a very polite conservative. I am a polite man and yet I'm not, I'm not willing to withhold you know, my message, because it's, it's like all these polite people standing in the room all at once. Well, somebody's killing themselves or destroying their business. Oh, or no. Yeah, no, and I've been kicked out of some chat boards myself, too. Um, <laughs> you know, for back in my day for expressing my opinion in this area. If it's an area that I don't have the information on, like I, I don't know enough about it. I, I'm cynical. I'm very cynical and I'm pissed off and I'm like frustrated and ready to go. I'm all those things. And I'll go into that. But I just don't know, you know, I don't know what's going on. And that's what's making me the angriest, I think, now. It's well, I, I, I don't know the if bullshit you're, that's out there. There's like five states that did not yeah. lock down. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah. I kind of want to go. <laughs> well, I do, too. There's five yeah. states that didn't lock down. And their numbers, certainly, you know, they're not as compact as a Los Angeles or right. New York City would be. Their numbers don't add up, though. And in, in New York City or in L.A., you know, any congested area, there's going to be a higher spike in the number of people that have any virus because they're all right on top of each other. They're yeah. pressed up against each other on the subway there. It's just going to be. And so <laughs> I, I, we quarantined. We've been quarantined since the 13th of March. And so we've been here now. This is the 13th. Uh, as we record this, this is the yeah. 13th April. And uh, I'll say it. I'm done. <laughs> I, I'm done. And, and yeah. I, I don't know how else to say it because I'm, I'm looking down the street and I'm seeing, like I said, joggers and people riding bikes and people do going for walks and they're not dropping dead. And there's no there, there's no evidence. There's no news that they're dropping dead. And and like you and I both know, it's been reported uh, excessively now that the doctors have been told if somebody dies and they might have had the virus, you've got to, you know, make make the virus the suspect in their death. Yeah. I just think that's misinformation that's that's creating, you know, the, the fear that everybody's walking around with now is, my God, I can't walk within five you know feet of my, my next door neighbor that I've known for 20 years. I just I, don't buy it anymore. I, know. I, I, I was I was willing to sit for 30 days. OK, I've sat for 30 days. Nothing <laughs> changed. Get back to work. What do you think that's going to do? I think um, some of this work that you're doing now in terms of young entrepreneurs and all that, I think there's never been something more timely than this. Like what? I mean, entrepreneurs, I think, are going to have to come out of this leading the charge, I think, in some senses, as, you know, mom and pop businesses and restaurants and all this get back up and running and gears get cut. I think a lot of people are going to be looking for ways to make sure that they're never dependent on a paycheck from somebody else again. Right. 
you know, like I said, I'm in the live event business and yeah. overnight I was told I can't do my business. And so I sat down and immediately said, okay, what ways can you protect yourself? Should anything similar to this ever come up again? And I, I came up with some very specific means on how to do that. I'm taking on personal coaching clients that I haven't done for two decades. Uh, you know, I have corporate coaching clients, but I'm taking on one-on-one -on -one personal coaching clients. I've got some wealthy friend entrepreneurs that, that they're freaking out and they're making, you know, they're not making the money they were making. They're not in harm's way yet, except at the same time, they're saying, Marshall, what is this? And again, yeah. that's, that's why I feel an obligation uh, to, you know, say it, it's, it's not what they said it was. You know, the numbers went from 2 million people in the United States are going to die to a million people in the United States are going to die to 200,000 are going to die. Now they're projecting 60,000 when it's at 18,000. And we're going past the flu season right now. Yeah. And so I don't buy in any of it. You know, it's one of the things that, that has become very clear is Dr. Fauci and, and the, the doctors that have been saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. They don't have a clue. They, they seriously have zero knowledge of what's happening. And, you know, the things that have happened in the past few days with Bill Gates and some other associates, it's pretty clear there's an agenda there. And the it's agenda is to get everybody vaccined up. And we've already seen so many times that the vaccines don't necessarily work. In fact, sometimes harm people. And so if there is a very cheap drug that has been proven in numerous studies to be able to bring somebody back from this virus, to heal them from this virus, and there's people resisting the use of that, that medication, again, follow the money. Uh, it is what it usually looks like. It, it's Oxnard's not. And when you realize that there are people that are resisting things that could actually be good, look at them with suspect. Yeah. T totally true. What do you think is like is a kind of business path or career path that somebody could so somebody sitting in their home now who just lost their job? Maybe they had a restaurant that went under or their corporate job is lost and they're like, oh, shit, I got to come up with something fast. You know, um, what are some advice that you have for them to kind of pivot and say, OK, you know, rather than throw your energy behind stressing and worrying about what is because you can't change anything that's happened. Right. What is your suggestions to these people to wake up today, if they wake up today and say, okay, I had enough of this bullshit. I'm going to start building my own life, building my own career, building up. Like, what are, where are some places that you can guide them to help them figure out how to tap into what it is that they could do? Or what are some areas that you think are going to be headed out strong out of the gate? I think everything's going to be strong out of the gate. And, and I'm a little puzzled because, you know, our president is a businessman and he yeah. knows his idea of pouring a lot of money into the economy, yet getting it to people rather than getting it to, to banks specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go full out because it's the nature of your show. The, the Federal <laughs> Reserve, of course, is neither. And the Federal Reserve is pouring trillions of dollars into the economy, except they're pouring it directly into the banks still. The banks are being told, we want you to give these small businesses loans. We want you to give them, you know, damage so that they can keep people employed so that when we lift this, this veil, that everybody can go back to work and everything can, as quickly as possible, go back to how it was. But the thing that, that I really think is that President Trump, again, he's too calm for calamity. And that's the one thing I keep watching him is he's just too calm for calamity. When you have the entire world on your shoulders and it's real, there's more stress than he's expressing. When, when you have the whole world on your shoulder and you're teaching everybody, we want you to practice distancing. We want everybody to wear a mask. But we've got a whole panel of people standing up in front of the camera, including uh, reporters <laughs> and, the audience, and they're all touching each other. They're all close yeah. to each other. And none of them are getting sick. I say, I'm calling baloney. I'm calling baloney on something here. But here, if, it, if, if I were a person that was looking at this from the outside, completely unaffected, not thinking about it at all, and it was a game of chess, here's the areas that I, if I were a businessman president, that I'd be thinking about. Number one, I definitely, and he said it in the past before he became president, I definitely would be looking for a way to end the Fed. Now think about this for a second. You've got a creditor, the creditor's loaning you more and more and more money, and it, there's a point where it's not possible to pay it back. And I'd say 30 trillion is about that mark. It's not gonna get paid back, ever. And right now, the money has been getting paid back by our taxes. We pay both the principal and the interest with our taxes. If Donald Trump one day, and they're starting to merge the Fed with the Treasury Department right now, if Donald Trump one day just went to the Federal Reserve and said, you know what, you haven't really been giving us anything. I mean, you give us keystrokes on a computer, and then you tell us we've got to pay those keystrokes back with actual cash. Tell you what, we can't pay the debt. We're not paying you back. What are you going to do about it? 
Well, they've got no leverage. Well, we're going to come after you. How? I own the military. And so I think that, that by eliminating the Fed, we eliminate that debt. We eliminate a, a constant drain on the government's economy, which is truly our economy. And then the second thing that he said that, that really piqued my interest is Trump has suggested repeatedly we need to get rid of payroll taxes through 2020. Well, if you get rid of payroll taxes, you also have to get rid of income tax because it's not fair for self-employed or entrepreneurs to right. not get a little bit of help too. It's not just the employees that are going to need help. So if you get rid of payroll tax and income tax and go straight for transactional taxes, then number one, the government must downsize, which it must anyway. Number two, you also now have more money in the marketplace. So there's a lot more uh, velocity, a lot more money being spread and changing hands. Everybody wins. But if you get rid of payroll and income tax for one year, the general public will never let you bring it back. When they see well, things- Well, no. Yeah, no kidding. Okay, now you can and, tax us again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I think that, again, I know Trump and I know what a chess player he is. And I know, you know, again, he's done a, a miraculous job getting the private sector to jump up and, and take charge of things. And I, my belief, because this is what I've seen and I haven't seen anything contrary. If I do, then I'm open to it. In fact, I was thinking about putting a post out today that said, could somebody please send me firsthand video, contact a nurse, contact a doctor friend of the, the beds in the ICU all full and people dying in the hallway. Just show me anything. Because what I have been getting videos of and have been getting stills of are empty ICU beds. What I have seen and what I've heard are, are nurses and doctors that have told me they've been furloughed. There's no, no one in the hospital right now. And so until I hear otherwise, I'm going to believe something else is going on here. The other thing, you know, Trump, Trump uh, campaigned on draining the swamp. He also campaigned from the very beginning. One of the first things he did was he said, I'm going to come down on trafficking, human trafficking, specifically child sex trafficking. And so if there was ever a time that you could be free to move about in a grand way, not have protests, not have Antifa, not have, you know, anybody getting in the way and getting in harm's way themselves and creating more harm for other people. If there was ever a time to do really spectacular things behind the scenes, this would be it. This would yeah. be the time. Yeah. So if I want to get rid of the Fed, have them pour as much of their, their fiat currency as possible into the marketplace, once it's flooded, go back to them and say, hey, you know what? We're not paying you back. It was never yours to give to us. We don't have to give you back anything you didn't give to us. So we're ending you. And like I said, the, the IRS has for a long time been a criminal organization attacking conservatives, attacking people that they didn't want their opinions heard. And if it was a transactional tax and the government did what it needs to do anyway, slimmed down, got rid of things, created term limits, then what would happen is we would have a robust economy. We would have things that worked well. We would be able to you know, pull our troops out of places. They really have no, no reason to be. Yeah. We don't need to jump in the middle of somebody else's conflict if they choose to do that. And protect our borders first and foremost. That's the first thing we need to do is protect our borders. Do I believe in immigration? Absolutely. I believe in legal immigration. I, I won't yeah. let anybody stay in my house unless I've vetted them. I need it's, to know who yeah. they are. Yep, it's the same thing. That's a, I, It always makes me laugh when people are like, you know, everybody. I'm like, okay, what if somebody just moved into your house? I had this. I had a deadbeat in my house. And he, he ruined us. He like sucked everything out because I let him in. I took care of him. I paid his bills. I did all this. I did all that. And he just took, 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 took until... We were like in disaster zone, you know, so it's the yeah. same concept to me. It's like protecting your home, protecting. It's not saying you're not going to help people, but it's about let's do the smart. Let's expect everybody to be accountable and we all work together yeah. kind of thing. Right. You everybody said a couple of things there. One of them was the IRS going after people. I also I experienced that when I, I had a controversial situation around my husband's death. I spoke up about it, you know, in the military. And uh, suddenly the IRS froze my account. So that was fun. I got to, I got to deal with that too. I've, I've experienced that. <laughs> it, ha it actually happens. Uh, mm -hmm. Next, you've mentioned a couple of times about uh, you know, the president's work and, and focus on sex trafficking. And I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I noticed there's an overlap because I saw you have a Certainty Institute, the nonprofit yeah. where you're addressing yeah. those things. Is that something, where does that come from in you that you're, you're dedicating? This, Certainty International is multifaceted, right? But but I love that you incorporated a nonprofit tone to it too. I love there's so such a quick judgment of people who raise some massive massive levels of success like that. That you're all kind of assholes, greedy, selfish, like kind of thing. But it's it couldn't be the opposite of the truth, really. I think so many people are doing so much to give back, and I, I would love to hear 
more about that, about your Certainty Institute, about the nonprofit work you're doing, why you're doing it. We have friends who are veterans, uh, the Benghazi guys in particular, who are working on a project against sex trafficking and all that. And, uh, you know, always looking to connect with people who are doing it. So are you open to talking about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I have two causes that are very near and dear yeah. to my heart. I have 10 siblings. Our mother, my mother raised us pretty much on her own. The, the men kind of came and went. It was just how it was. And, and so we were homeless twice. And so I know what it's like to, to fight back from utter poverty, you know, no running water, no electricity, no phone, <clears throat> very little food, sometimes no food whatsoever. And so in my household, what I want is a compassion. I, I don't want a, an entitlement. I don't want to uh, get somebody to the place where they're, they're not able to take care of themselves because I've enabled them for too long. What I'd like to do is sift the sand. And those that want help, want education, need their self-esteem brought back, we can assist yeah. them. The other piece that, that's near and dear to my heart, because like I said, I, I, I've been performing. I've been on stage since I was seven years old. I started touring when I was 12 years old, meaning my mom said, I, I said, I want to go join the circus and go tour. And so I went and joined the circus and went and toured. And I saw stuff and, and I had circumstances that, praise God, that I was uh, not harmed by that I got through, except I saw it repeatedly. And, it, you know, full grown adults that are wanting to do harm to kids. And, and then, you know, as I do more research and, and see more of what's there, it, it breaks my heart. You know, I've got a nine year old, a seven year old and a five year old. And the things that people would do to children, how can that be? That's, that's the worst crime imaginable. And to me, that's, that's worse than murder. And so the, the first thing is, is I don't think people, uh, good people think everybody's good. Kind people think everybody is kind. Evil people think everybody is evil and, you know, I'll just get my fair share. And the thing is, is good people cannot fathom the truth. And there's more and more documentaries. There's more and more film works. There's more and more information about what's really going on with these pedophile rings and with these traffickers and, and, and how horrible it is. I went down to Cuba and uh, I used to smoke cigars. So I went down to Cuba for a cigar festival. And while I was there, uh, I toured one of the factories and they, the guy at the end, I said, I want to buy a couple of boxes. He said, don't buy them here. And he took me to a, his house, his apartment. He opened the door up and there were stacks and stacks of boxes of cigars from the factory. So clearly he was, he was stealing or maybe he was gifted. I don't know what the deal was. So I bought we'll a couple of boxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bought a, a couple of boxes of cigars and, uh, and then I, I was about to leave, get back in a taxi. And he said, you want anything else? I said, like what? And he said, rum? I said, I'm okay. He said, girls? I said, nah. He goes, how about really young girls? And just because I wanted to know where he was going to this, I yeah. said, how young? He said, eight, nine, ten. And I said, I need to get in the cab right now. Except I got in the cab and I, I, I uh, the hotel I was staying at, because it was the cigar festival, had a lot of Americans in it. And two of the Americans were people that I, they weren't friends of mine, but they ran one of the casinos, they, they worked in the casino and I knew them and they were staying there for the festival. And I got back and, and I was in the casino playing some blackjack. And one of the guys walked up and he said, how was your trip? I said, it was great. He said, great cigars, great rum, great fun, great history. It was amazing. He said, yeah, those really young girls were amazing. I said, what are you talking about? He said, the guy, you know, you sold you the cigars, uh, set us up. And I just, I looked at him and I'm thinking to myself, you gotta be kidding me. Except uh -huh. once again, good people think everybody's good. Don't real, they don't realize the depths at which evil can go to. So yeah, yeah, it's very near and dear to my heart to keep especially children out of harm's way, keep them safe, keep parents educated. Don't let them, you know, let somebody do a sleepover. And, you know, it's just, it, unfortunately, these are the days we live in and it, I'm not going to be depressed about it. I'm going to be proactive about it and do something. It's kind of like the guy walking down the beach and there's, you know, a thousand starfish all over the beach. And he's yeah. walking with his butt reaches down and grabs one starfish and throws it into the water and reaches down, grabs another one, throws it into the water. And his buddy says, what are you doing? He says, I'm saving this starfish's life. And he said, uh, there's a thousand here. You can't possibly make a difference. And he says, I can make a difference in this one's life. And yeah. that's it. Good people just need to keep doing good. My one of my good friends, I have a lot of great friends, but I'm so lucky. One of them has dedicated her life to saving horses, like equine rescue she saves horses. And she has puts it in the way she's like, look, we can't all save the world, but we can all tidy up our own little corner of it, right? And so, and I love that because I think if everybody found that one thing that they were into, whether it's animals, children, homelessness, veterans, I mean, name it, there's so many causes, right? If everybody picked one and went for it, um, what a difference, right? But in the people that do. So what, so what 
is it that you're centered? Let's get into Certainty International. I love it. It's so interesting. I wish I'd had something like that in our area for my kids when I was trying to raise them on my own and provide leadership to them while I was a disaster, you know? Um, and I think that a school like that, uh, a place like that, is, is just what a gift for parents to have for kids. It's incredible. Well, you know, Can you talk of, about it? Yeah. A lot of schools are closed right now. I don't know that yeah. all schools are closed, but many are closed. I think that, yeah. They'll... And so, you know, people are homeschooling their kids. Right. And I think we homeschool for a reason. We homeschool because I don't, as a conservative myself, I don't want liberal ideologies pounded into my children's head. I don't want them to, you know, do long math. I, I, there's so many things that public school doesn't do well. Now I have a little sister that's a public school teacher and she's the sweetest, kindest, most conservative person in the world. And, and she tells me what goes on there and what kind of agenda, you know, people, these teachers pound into these young kids' heads. I think that I saw a note the other day, somebody said, you know, it's been so much work being quarantined. It's been so much work doing the homeschooling. She said though, my children, I've never seen them this happy. I've never yeah. seen them so at ease, so, so not anxious. And she said, I don't, we will never send them back to public school. And yeah. again, I think that that's so important for people to realize that we're in a time where a lot of things will be demonstrated. You know, we're, we're doing this Zoom right now, and I've done a lot of interviews over the last month. And I think that more and more people are going to realize that you don't need to be in someone's presence to do business with them. I don't have yeah. to fly to New York for a meeting with a major corporation to land their account. I can say, look, you and I both have better things to do. How about we jump on a Zoom, look into my eyes, see if you yeah. think you trust me, and I'll do the same. And then we'll either you know do business together or we won't. So I think that a lot of travel will be reduced. People are realizing you know, we, we don't need to travel as much as we do. We could stay closer to home. I think that a lot of people are going to adjust. You know, Most people are cooking at home more than they've cooked at home ever. My wife and I, we've been together for 13 years. And we've had every single meal here at home for the last month, which is hasn't happened in 13 years. Unheard of, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good. We, so, we started assigning teams in our house. Like we team one person up with another and they have to cook dinner that night. And we've had some interesting meals with kids cooking and all that. But you know what? <laughs> It's fun, right? <laughs> you got to you got to make the fun where you can. You you brought up your wife and I I would be completely remiss if I didn't ask you to share that story as well. We have a lot of good stories about how people met their wives. I have a couple good ones about how I met people in my life. I love your story uh, of yeah, how so you met your wife. wife Erica, yeah. I was doing an event in Boston. There were about a thousand people in the room and I was walking up the center aisle and four rows back on the center aisle was this beautiful young woman. And uh, I got on stage and you got to qualify your prospects before you close the deal. So I said, is there anybody here that is single and would love some passion in a personal relationship? Put your hand up. Say, oh, yeah. Well, a bunch of people put their hands up. She didn't. She just looked at me and smiled. I said, OK, let me test it the other way. Who here is in a relationship already and wants more passion in the existing relationship? Put your hand up. Say, oh, yeah. She didn't put her hand up and she looked away from me. I'm a cold reader. Uh, every single thought we think creates a physical response in the body. So whatever we're thinking in our head, we're going to telegraph that. And so when she looked away from me and didn't smile that she wanted passion in a relationship and didn't put her hand up when she said, when I asked who's single, that told me she was in a relationship and she wasn't happy. And so I said, game on. So I, I decided that I would hypnotize her while I was teaching the course so that nobody, including her, would know. I would hypnotize her to ask me out on a date. So I would walk into I would walk into the audience and I would come near her and it would look like I was addressing everybody except my hand would nonchalantly be like right up in front of her. It'd be like you know real near her. And I'd say, you know, sometimes what you want is right in front of you. Sometimes what you want is so close you could reach out and touch it. And I'd put my <laughs> hand right in front of her hand. And so I program her like that and and I go to break and I say, "Hey, when we go on break, I want everyone to know that I need to re-energize too." So while we're on break, I'd like you to let me, don't ask me questions, ask them during session. There may be just one person though that has an overwhelming desire to stand up, walk to me now and ask me a big important question. You have permission. Well, I look directly into her eyes. And so everybody stands up. She stands up to leave, starts walking down the aisle and uh, got like three steps away and turned around like she was going to come approach me on stage. And she shrugged her shoulders, turned back, started walking a couple more steps and then finally threw her hands in the air, turned all the way around, walked all the way back up to the stage. And she said, I know you don't like to be bothered, and I know this isn't in my nature to do this, except I'm kind of wondering, you know, if you're staying in this hotel, could we grab a cup of coffee after the seminar today? And I said, I, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know why you're doing it. <laughs> so at any rate, I said, if staying in this hotel is a prerequisite, I'll have my staff move me. I was just joking with her. 
And I said, look, I've got dinner plans already. If you'll give me your cell phone number, I'll give you a call when I'm done with dinner. Well, I did have dinner plans. I had flown a woman in from New York City to spend the weekend with me in Boston. She was in my hotel room right at that moment. And so I went to dinner and I told the woman that I had flown in. I said, I apologize. Something has come up and I would be lying to you and it would be bad if I spent the whole weekend with you. I need to either get you another room or I've got to put you on the jet and send you back to New York. And she wasn't happy, except I, I knew I was doing the right thing. And, you know, yeah. it would have been just false. And so I, I give Erica a call, my wife, uh, wife no. a call, so you know where <laughs> this is going. <laughs> give my wife a call. And I said, uh, if we go down to the lounge or if we go to the coffee shop, there's a thousand people here. We won't get any privacy. Would you feel comfortable coming to my suite? Pretty smooth, huh? And so uh, she said, yeah, what should I do? And I said, what room number are you in? And she told me the room number. I said, you need to leave your room, walk across the hall, knock on the door, because that's my room. So in a hotel with a thousand rooms in it, we hadn't seen each other in the hallway, just not in passing. Yeah. She was staying in the room directly across from me. I she said, that. okay, I'll be, over there. I'll be over there in a few minutes. So I hang up the phone, and I hear screaming in the hallway. I open up the door, and there's nobody there. And I'm thinking, what was that? And I listen, and the screams are coming from the room directly across the hall. You see, she didn't know who I was when she came to the seminar. She was the guest of somebody else who had had an extra ticket. And she's screaming, oh, my God, oh, my God, he invited me to his room. What should I do? And the woman that had brought her said, you need to go to his room. You're going to marry that man. And so I go back into my room, and I'm, I'm feeling very confident. <laughs> and so I shut the door, and I wait for her. Sure enough, there's a knock on the door. And I open the door. I don't say a word. I take her by the hand. I, I draw her into the room. And I give her a big, wet, deep kiss. She collapses in my arms. I shut the door. I walked her into the room and I said, sit down. Let's talk about your boyfriend. And she told me she was in a relationship. She said, I'm not happy. He smokes pot all day. He doesn't do anything. We have no intimacy. I'm working three jobs, going to school, attempting to get ahead. And uh, we talked. And then we talked the next day. And then we talked the next day. And over the course of about six weeks, uh, we got to know each other, you know, long distance. And I really liked this person. And... Uh, at one point, about uh, two months into it, I said, look, I don't want you living a lie with your boyfriend. I realize you don't have the wherewithal to have your own apartment. I will set you up for three months and three months only, regardless of how this goes. I'll pay for three months. You don't have to pay me back. That way you can get on your feet and determine where you want to go and you know if we're a fit. And uh, about two weeks into that, she flew out to Vegas to visit me for the weekend and literally has never gone home. <laughs> so it's a good life. <laughs> how did you wind up proposing to her? I uh, proposed to her on the roof of uh, Sir Richard Branson's island, Necker Island. Of course you did. <laughs> and I tricked you, though. I, I, I pretended. No. I, I had a bunch. Of, it's always the case. It has to be, actually. I had a bunch of students there for an event, and I told her I wanted to film an infomercial on the roof of the Great House. So I brought all the students up there, and, and I'm doing this, this pseudo infomercial pitch. And then at the end of it, I said, hey, I want you to come into this frame for a second. And uh, she comes into the frame. And I got down on one knee. At least I thought I got down on one knee. She pointed out later on that I didn't get down on one knee, that I squatted. And the reason I squatted is there was gravel on the roof of the house, and I didn't want to put my knee in the gravel, so I squatted. And then I asked her to marry me. Well, at least I thought I asked her to marry me. She said, no, you didn't ask me to marry you. You said, I want you, Erica, to be my one true wife. You commanded me. I said, <laughs> okay. It worked, so I'm okay. <laughs> and then the, the coolest thing is uh, while they were filming, I, I you know, got off my knee or squat, I guess, got on my squat, the rings on her finger, and I give her a kiss, and I turn toward the camera that's still videotaping us, and this little teeny birdie flew up right between us and the camera, and you can see it in the, in the video. It's just, just hovering right there. I thought, how cool is that? What a little magical moment that is. Well, I had planned for fireworks to go off after I proposed to her. Now, I'm so glad she said yes, because that would have been really embarrassing. Oh, she said no. <laughs> hey, fireworks, yay. And so... <laughs> We turn around to look at the beach where the fireworks are, and this bird that was hovering right in front of us on this side goes 180 degrees to the other side and hovers right there. Oh, I cool. said to my wife, I said, that's God. That's God right there. God is blessing this marriage. Uh, that's great. I love those stories. I could go into those all day. I'm curious. Um, I, I had mentioned to you, I had six brothers and sisters. Once upon a time, I thought that was a lot, right? But and. A lot of us are similar. Three of them are educators, teachers. They all, but I'm like the only one who doesn't have that like structured job, structured paycheck. I'm like the weird one, you know, in the family who kind of went off. So I'm curious to know how did that work in your family? Did any of your siblings take the entrepreneurial path? Are you the the maverick I'm there? The, right? I'm the one. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Like, yeah, it is weird, and it's also <laughs> kind of weird to me. Um, I have a couple. I have two sisters that are fairly conservative. And most of the rest of them are not. They're, they're fairly liberal. 
and I don't get it. And, and I mean, I don't get it to the point where I don't talk to my brothers. I, I wish them well. I don't wish them anything ill. I just don't talk to them because their, their ideas and opinions are so far on the opposite side of my own that there's going to be an argument. There's just, there's, I'm going to let them have an opinion, yet they don't want me to have an opinion. And so it's just interesting to me. I, I tend to tell people there's the family, your blood family, and then there's your real family. Yeah. And your real family are the people that you surround yourself with on a regular basis. Doesn't matter whether you're blood or not, you, you know each other. And you know, conservative to me means that I have very high moral and ethical ideals and that I uh, really allow people to have an opinion. They, they certainly are allowed to have their opinion. And I respectfully request that I have my own too. And I just don't see that. You know, what, what used to be called, what's called liberal right now used to be people allowing people to have an opinion, and it's not the case anymore. It, it's shifted altogether. The Democratic Party never was what they pretended to be. And I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. I just, I'm an American. I'm a patriot. Yeah. And uh, what we've been seeing, you know, the selfishness and the, the actions of people attacking, you know, a duly selected uh, Supreme Court judge or attacking a duly elected president for three years. And if this doesn't work, let's attack him in a new way. And let's attack him in a new way. And it's like, please go back to work, do something. It's getting old, it's getting tired. I have that in my family too, where um, a lot of them kind of lean way the opposite way to the point like we'll get along. We don't see each other all that much because our lives are different, but but I just won't talk about it with them because they go like right to that orange face douchebag. I'm like, dude, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Look, yeah, I'm not, that's not a conversation, you know? <laughs> so I get it. It is frustrating. It is frustrating. What do your kids lie in all this? I, I like they're since they were homeschooled as it is, and they lead this life where they're already experiencing leadership skills and doing things like getting up on stage in front of others already where, you know, our, our kids, like I was terrified to go into a convenience store and like buy a bottle of water or something like from somebody because I didn't want to talk to somebody, you know, when I was 10 or something. Um, so that's like a huge deal for a child to get up there and perform like, and they're doing magic at your new place, right? They're doing, yeah. they're performing. So how is they, that? Like, they, are they, oh, go ahead. You know, we, we, ha- we have not yet completely, we're about to open the theater when this came down. Oh. And so they do perform and they have been performing on, on stages and they, from the time they were born, we've carried them on stage. And I've got to, when I get them on stage, I have to pry the microphone out of their hand because they don't want to <laughs> leave. They like it so much. And you know, in so many things, I, I wonder if, you know, if people made being on stage, presenting, having that level of confidence, if that was the norm, if they made my children, while we live a very abundant life, also for Christmas, as an example, they get 10 gifts each. They get one yeah. gift from Santa. Mom and dad get them nine other gifts. And that's all they get. They don't get eight. They don't get 10. I mean, 11, they, they get 10. And I have friends that are wealthy that they, they seek to fill up a room with gifts for their kids right. at Christmas or, or just be over the top. And I don't want my kids thinking that's a normal life. You know, I want them to know if you want something, my, my, my children, uh, you know, if they want something, I say, okay, what will you do to get that thing? You know, if it costs $100, what effort, what work, what, what contribution will you give to me, to your mom, to somebody else to generate that value? And they're, they're perfect about it. I'll give you yeah. a, and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, proud of my children. We were, we've been playing a lot of Monopoly and uh, we've been playing a lot of games over the last month. Yes, I know. <laughs> and so we were playing Monopoly. My one son is, he's the best luck in the world. He's just got amazing luck. Like there'll be a contest and he'll say, oh, I'm going to win that. And he wins consistently. So we were playing Monopoly and I wasn't having a very good round. And uh, I had one of the properties, the lowest properties. I had one of the orange properties. He had the other one and he had already gotten a Monopoly. And I was attempting to negotiate with him on some stuff and I didn't want to do it because it would give him too much advantage. He just looks at me, he says, dad, you can have the property. I don't need anything. He just gave me the property so I had a Monopoly. And I said, son, you don't have to do that. He said, no, dad, I want you to. I want you to have a Monopoly too. I want this to be fair. I thought, (laughs) wow, wow. Proudest moment of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. That is sweet when they they take you by surprise. They, I call them, you know, little leaders. My kids, um, when we were going through all this, they were very little, six, five, three, and one when my husband was killed, right? And so um, I had to learn over the years, there would be these moments that my kids would come out and say something or do something that taught me there's this profound lesson on, you know, resilience or grief or how to live in the moment or whatever it was. It seems like our kids if you are open to it, have a message for you almost every day on how to kind of 
absorb something or learn something or maximize that day. So cool, right? Um, From the mouths of babes. Yeah, yeah. They come out with the with the coolest things. Sometimes they come out with things I'm like, oh, you know, you just said that, right? <laughs> but, but sometimes they come out with some really cool stuff. Um, all right. So is there something in the world of magic you think that hasn't happened yet, like or that has yet to be developed or yet to be shown or performed that you would like to do or that you wish somebody would do? seems like it's getting more and more. Com- people are harder to impress uh, these Well, days. you know, I'm excited. The show that you were talking about is a show yeah. called. Yeah. And we have a theater called Certainty Theater here in Southern California. And it was built in 1927, 300 seat little theater. And we're putting kids show in there. And it's not it's not a magic show just for kids. It's a magic show by kids for kids of all ages. So they'll do grand illusion. They'll do sleight of hand. They'll do some really cool stuff. And the message, though, in the show is that you don't have to wait until you're an adult to have a business. You could have a business now. And that is the key for kids to understand. You know, I've been working full time, meaning 40 hours plus a week since I was 10 years old. We didn't have anything at my household. And so if I wanted something, I had to get it myself. And so very early on, I did that. And, you know, I look back at my life and I'm so glad that I did. It made me realize that that's life. You know, we've got people, again, this is no knock against anybody, but we've got people, millennials and even older people that were brought up in environments where their parents in a desire to take care of their kids and a desire to make their lives better than the one that they grew up in, coddled them, gave them everything, let them stay at home, you know, live at home until they're 25, 30, 35, 40 years old. And that's called enabling. So, you know, like I said, it's real simple with my kids. If you want something, tell me what value you'll give to somebody else. I, it could be me. It could be mom. It could be you charm me. I mean, that that's allowed too. And <laughs> at the same time though, I want you to know that there are, there's no given. That, that you must produce value for somebody else. And certainly charming me, making me feel so good. My daughter is like amazing. Oh, yes. And, and I'm wrapped. I mean, she can have anything she wants. But the, yeah, uh, daughters have that power. Some daughters have that power over some dads. Uh, my daughter, Prosperity, certainly does. <laughs> yes. My stepdaughter has that over, over her dad, for sure. She's great at manifesting. Which, if I want something or want something done, I'm like, Haley, go ask your dad to do this. <laughs> she does. And there it goes, right? It happens. You got to learn to like master the forces that work, you know, harness the force and direct it appropriately. I need to ask you quickly before we wind up running out of time, um, or maybe not so quickly. One of the reasons that we started this podcast and we were talking a little bit earlier on um, is that we are, you know, we defend patriotism. We found patriotism under attack and it just, it started to impact me directly. I was letting it impact me directly. I was taking it personally because my husband, you know, died for this country and it seemed like people were just kind of, you know, not caring about that. So anyway, so it started to take me a little backwards, all the divisiveness and anger. And when I realized that I figured instead of just sitting around letting it impact me, if it was impacting me, it was impacting other people as well. I found positive messages, stories, people who, to mentor me and be an example too. And that's why we created this podcast to find people who are living all the, uh, and taking advantage of all the opportunities in this country that so many people gave so much for to show that it's not unappreciated. It's not for nothing. And that there is still such massive potential in this country, massive potential to overcome whatever it is you're facing to build a successful life and give back to other people. And that's our version of the American dream. It looks like spreading that message and promoting it and bringing it to people but we know that the American dream isn't a cookie cutter for everybody. We know everybody's got their own concept of what that is and what that looks like for them. So I'd like to ask you when somebody says, what is your American dream to you? What would that be? My American dream is, uh, you know, as a patriot, I think it's as important to, to stand up for what is patriotic and also though to identify what is not. And again, I've said this, I have a lot, my, my father immigrated from Poland. I have many immigrant friends and I had somebody stand up at one of my seminars doing a cold read. And he said, I said, what is it you want? And he said, I I don't want to have to, you know, always be concerned that, you know, I won't be able to stay here. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I, I, you know, I I want to be able to move about freely. And I said, are you, are you, are you here illegally? That's what I asked him. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, do we have anybody in this room that came to this country illegally? It was in Northern California, so quite a few hands went up. And I said, do we have anybody in this room that came here illegally and you are now here legally? You did what you needed to do to remain here legally. All the hands went back up. I said, that's what you need to do. I said, unfortunately, my head won't grow hair. I've got to deal with my circumstance. I said, at the same time, though, what I can't deal with, I surrender to. 
And if you haven't done what you need to do to be here legally, then yeah, you're going to look over your shoulder all the time. And so I think it's just as important for us to recognize when one of the Democrats is trying to give $5 billion to Iran. It, it could be any country. It doesn't even have to be Iran. Well, we're struggling here in the United States where, where veterans are, you know, living homeless on the streets, where we've got citizens, hardworking citizens that can barely get by because of the circumstance. And again, it's not selfish. Ayn Rand is a uh, author of Atlas Shrugged and The Fountainhead. She wrote a book that a lot of people don't know about or haven't heard about. It's called The Virtues of Selfishness. And what the book boils down to is real simple. It's like what they tell you when you get on a commercial jet, the flight attendant comes out and says, in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, oxygen masks will drop down from the ceiling. Please place your mask on first before assisting the person beside you. Well, the reason you have to do that is if you don't put your mask on first, this person over here that's thrashing about won't get theirs on, you won't get yours on, you'll both die. So yep. you got to put your mask on first. So I, again, I, as a patriot, I love what's going on. I, I like our troops coming home. I like the idea of defending our border. I like the idea of making sure that we are taking care of everybody here first. I like the idea of a wall and it's not to keep people out. It's to make sure we can vet whoever comes in. There's still a door in the wall. doesn't mean nobody can come in. They just need to come in with our permission. I, I like the idea of ending the Federal Reserve. I like the idea of abolishing the IRS. And again, it, it's that's just my opinion because I think it would be better for the entire country. And so as, as a patriot, sometimes we've got to stand up and say something that we don't think other people will find popular. And they may not. Except my experience has been that oftentimes the patriots are just the silent, polite ones. That's all. And uh, I have a buddy of mine who has a large hotel uh, group down in Florida, and he had hosted a rally for President Trump down there. And as the election was going on, the 2016 election was going on, uh, he calls me up a couple days prior and he said, what do you think is going to happen? I said, I'm watching Trump hold rallies four times a day, 10,000 people spill over plus. I'm watching Hillary do one rally a week and there's 200 people there. I said, that's the popular vote. I don't care how you slice it. That's the popular vote. People vote with their presence. They vote with their wallet. Uh, so if it was real, he'd win by a landslide. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, I said, I think the elections have been rigged for too long, all of them. And I said, I think Hillary's going to be our president. And so when the election day came along and, you know, Trump was winning in each area, he calls me up and he says, what do you think that is? I said, they got to make it look real. They've got to make it look real. And then um, the next day I went to bed before the results were in. And I wake up in the morning. And my wife looks at me and she's hovering over me. She said, Trump won. <laughs> And I said, honey, that's not funny. And she said, no, he won. I said, honey, please don't joke about that. And she said, no, turn the TV on. She turns the TV on and I'll be doggone, Trump won. <laughs> I went and I opened up the curtains to the backyard and the sun was brighter. And my buddy calls me up and he said, what happened? And I said, they were arrogant. They didn't rig it enough. They yeah. were arrogant. And so again, you know, my, my idea of patriotism is to say when the emperor has no clothes on. My idea of being a patriot is to say, you know, this needs to be fixed. These children cannot be harmed anymore. Uh, my idea of a patriot is, yeah, we're in this together. And as long as you're willing to do your fair share, I'm definitely willing to do mine. Yet I owe you exactly what you owe me. And that's nothing. And, you know, kind of like my son giving me that monopoly yesterday. It was the smallest monopoly on the board. He still ended up winning, except it was that gesture of him being in a position to do so like that. And, and I asked him, why would you do that? He said, because I love you, Dad. Aww. That. That's why people should give, because they want to, not because their arm is being twisted, not because they're being guilted into doing something. They should do it because they want to. And if they don't want to, so be it. Love it. Yeah, and that is super sweet. That's a way to make a Monopoly game interesting, man, because I don't last through Monopoly. <laughs> My attention span goes, man, Marshall, I appreciate you so much taking the time to, to sit down with us today, to go into these things, to go into areas I know um, you don't typically go into either. Before I do let you go, I'd like to ask you, is there something that you actually really like to talk about, um, but people don't really ask you about or people things that you're interested in that nobody asks you about? Or do, do they touch on I it all? I think you've done a remarkable job of covering everything. <laughs> well, thank you. I wasn't fishing, but I'll take it. Um, you know, I just, I know that sometimes we overlook things, especially people who are interviewed so frequently. Some, they tend to have like this one thing, but every, you know, they're always you know, kind of asked like trick, you know, trick pony, like perform, you know, dance, dance monkey, you know. Yes, so. exactly. <laughs> I want to wrap it up by just saying, you know, yeah. we don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what's going to happen today, tomorrow, next week. We don't know. Yeah. And one of the most powerful skill sets we can possess is surrender. That doesn't mean you gave up. What it means is you surrender to the things you can't change. 
you stay focused on an outcome. You begin with the end in mind. You, you do your very best to put things in a proper order. You know, a few years ago, uh, when the second uh, election was going on during Barack Obama's administration, I had certain concerns. They were attacking gun rights. They were attacking certain things that I hold dear to my heart. And I said to Erica, my wife, I said, I want to make sure we're really prepared. So we went out and I got six months worth of regular food, mostly canned goods and such. But I also got a pallet of wet wipes. I got a pallet of wet wipes. And we're not talking a little pallet. I got a big pallet of wet wipes. And everybody was like looking at me and make, making fun of me and laughing. And, oh, my God, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Crap's going to hit the fan. And, and I uh, brought it home, split up the pallet, put half at the Vegas house, took half to the beach house. And I didn't really think about it much until recently. And no one's laughing at me now. <laughs> no. What is that? The grasshopper and the ant, right? You were, you were the ant. And the yep. rest of us grasshoppers had, had no, no toilet paper. <laughs> good thing we're good, good country people. We know what to do out here. Yeah, but, <laughs> exactly. Uh, my, son, my son asked, uh, "Do you, you know, are you concerned about toilet paper, Dad? All these people, you know, hoarding toilet paper." Yeah. I said, "Son, I grew up on a farm with no running water. We had a two-seat outhouse. And the reason it was a two-seat outhouse is Mom didn't want the kids walking to the outhouse in the middle of the winter by themselves in case they slipped, cracked their head wide open." I said, "We never had toilet paper ever." What we had was the Sunday edition of the Times. That's what we had, and that's what we used. <laughs> See, but I mean, all those things prepared you better for this than a lot of other people are are prepared, right? If you haven't gone through things, if your life hasn't just introduced you or exposed you to all sorts of crazy hardships, or just pivoted on a dime and just changed overnight like this, you're you're, you're caught a little more off guard than the rest of the world who's been through something like that. People who've been through it are like, oh, well, it's just another, I guess I'll deal with this now. Like, <laughs> go again. Yeah, yeah. I, right, I, well. I, I, the, the last thing encouraging that I want yeah. to say yeah, is we're in, we're in a unique circumstance in that the last recession of 2007, 2008, we slowly eased into it. And most people didn't see it coming because it crept in so slowly. We're in a different circumstance. We're really at this point only 30 days into the bulk of this thing. And the hardest part on people has been the uncertainty. What's mm -hmm. happening? What's going to happen next? When are we going to be allowed to go eat at our favorite restaurant? When are we going to be allowed to go back to work? That's the concern for people. But I want to point out this fact, economic fact, is that you know everything got suppressed at once. Everything got pushed down at once. And that means everybody is in the same boat. Some people didn't do well and other people you know, didn't do well. Everybody got pushed down at the same time. That means everyone simultaneously wants this to roar back. And again, I point out, we were 30 days ago, we were in the greatest economy I have ever seen in my lifetime. We were in a phenomenal economy. The uh, toilet paper didn't vanish. The eggs didn't dry up. In fact, right now, the biggest challenge is the farmers are having to get rid of eggs and milk and, and milk, all, the, yeah. yep. all, all the stuff that was sold to all the restaurants that are no longer in business right now, all the cafeterias, all the schools. I think schooling will definitely change, but just keep this in mind. This will pass sooner or later. We will be able to move about, around about all by ourselves. Um, I don't think there's going to be a time, I'll fight against it, that's for sure, a time where we're all mandated to get vaccines and, and chipped. And I think the, the blowback on Bill Gates yeah. is glorious. It's been beautiful. His Instagram yeah. account, account he, can't, he can't get rid of the comments fast enough because everybody has said, uh, you're not putting oh, something in. Oh, hell no. I yes. Yeah. <laughs> No way. Yeah, that, that'll so, get my blood going. I'll get kicked off of rooms for if I unload on that. That's insanity. Absolutely. It's criminal and we won't allow it to happen. Yeah. So the Patriots will rise up and, and yeah. Q sent me. <laughs> I think there will be an uprising. They try to tell us you have to, you have to get this vaccine and there's a chip in it. Oh, oh man. Not going to happen. Boom. Yeah. Why don't, you, why don't you do that while you're taking my guns? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, right. Please. Or come take my kids while you're in. No, no, like none. I don't, I don't, I hope that just, they never comes where they try to pull that. Um, look, if people want to connect with you and follow you and learn from you more so, we'll put all the links into the, the article that we do and we'll put them up on our site too, but I'd like them to hear it from you too, for the people who are just listening to this, how can they connect with you? And I love that you're offering personal coaching now. I think one of the upsides of what's going on is there's a lot of opportunities for people now that didn't exist before. People that want to learn and study and grow and connect with people. It Y'all are doing it now. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm coaching people. You know, I, I have big corporate clients that pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars on an annual yeah. basis. And I'm doing private one-on-one -on -one coaching right now 
for a fraction of that. And the reason is, is that there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, and, and, and regular people, mostly entrepreneurs, because I'm still, there's still a, an investment attached to it, yes. that they just need to keep their head on straight. And even though they're yeah. smart people, they're afraid. You know, I'm, I'm more concerned today than I would have been, say, nine years ago before I had kids. I'm concerned for my family, first and foremost, w- way above me. I'm concerned about the world that we're going to leave for them. And so I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that we not only go through these times, that we actually thrive through these times. Yeah. And the people that are willing to you know, do what it takes, the people that are willing to invest in themselves, use this downtime to prepare for the uptime that's about to come, those people, I, I want to just see them rewarded in such huge ways. They can find yeah. me at silver, S-Y-L-V-E-R.com. Uh, they can reach my offices at 1-800-92-POWER. It's an 800 number, 1-800-92-POWER. If they're interested in doing some coaching or interested in checking out videos, go to the website, contact the office, and I'm more than happy to assist you. Obviously, I've been very open with my my own feelings about our country and about yeah. my politics, and my desire is always to surround myself with like-minded patriots so that we can continue to reclaim our country. Awesome. Man, thank you so very much, and I hope you all have, well. a, have a happy apocalypse. <laughs> I'm going to have an awesome day. (laughs) See you soon. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, there you have it, everyone. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening in to this incredible episode with Marshall Silver. I'd like to personally thank Marshall for being here as well and taking the time to be with us, share his story, and talk about all the interesting topics and things that he shared on this podcast episode. Uh, If you got any value out of this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Uh, Share this podcast with a friend. Uh, Share one of your favorite episodes on social media. Don't forget to follow us on social at uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, If you want to learn more about Marshall Silver, don't forget we publish a full featured article on our guests each and every week over at americansnippets.com. You can watch the full video interview with Marshall Silver there, uh, read the story, and we also include some social media links there that you can use to follow uh, Marshall on Instagram, Facebook, and on his website. We appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are.